Welcome to the Deepish Thoughts Podcast. I'm Chris Hordell, joined by my co-host, Anshu Khanna. This is the first time that you and I have ever had our own show. That's actually correct. I'm excited. And I also, by the way, thank you for calling me your co-host. Is there, do I, like, are you also my co-host? Is that like a, I kind of always wondered, is that kind of like a a parallel thing or am I merely your co-host? Oh no, it's, it's, you know, this is a very, very kind of like horizontal structure here, but know that you are inferior to me. (laughs) Duly noted. Or singularly noted. I, I guess I don't know. What, what let's, let's, not, yeah, let, let's not waste the time we have debating the semantics of language. <laughs> Fair enough. Anshukana, through almost two months of college football, if I were to say the name Lamar Jackson to you, what would you say? I'd say dynamic, exciting, not sure what he's going to be like at the next level. All all those words, I think, apply, but he's he's uh, been a revelation, I think. I mean, just a really fascinating player to watch and he's done it on some of the biggest stages possible. Yeah. I've taken to calling him future Cleveland Brown, Lamar Jackson. Oh, it's very unfortunate for him to be stuck with that label, but I can see it. Well, I'll tell you, my girlfriend is a Browns fan and we were picking up some dinner on a Saturday night at Buffalo Wild Wings free, free plug for BW three right there. Um, (laughs) And for the Cleveland Browns, I mean, if your girlfriend's a fan, that's a huge, huge feather in their cap. Yeah, exactly. It's a big get. She is, in fact, a a decision maker. But, but uh, you know, the the Clemson and the the Clemson Louisville game was on on one of the TVs, and on another television, UCLA was playing. I forget who. And I told, and she isn't, you know, she is a legitimate football fan, not just a, oh, that's cute. Let's get the jerseys look pretty, so I like them. Uh, she's a legitimate football fan, and I told her, you should be paying attention right now because on one of these screens in front of us is your next quarterback. Well, one I have very little doubt about, and the other I have some doubt about. And I'll say we haven't even discussed the one I have very little doubt about um, <laughs> because Josh Rosen is, is really exciting, and I think that if the, if the Browns were to get him, that'd be, that would be a, a big-time get for them, almost as big as your girlfriend is a fan. Exactly. Do you think the Browns would be a little bit concerned about Rosen's attitude, though? He does have some Manzelli qualities to his personality. Yeah, I mean, fool me, what, fool me once, you know, but they also have Hugh Jackson there, and I think that he's proven to have done a pretty good job of, of managing that locker room, and, and by all accounts, everyone there loves him, everyone in Cincinnati loved him, seems like the people in Oakland loved him, so... Uh, I would have less concern about that uh, going forward, but obviously, in, in all things being equal, that's that's certainly something that teams are going to keep in mind uh, on Rosen. And I don't know that you can, you know, sort of compare apples to oranges here, but it is interesting if next year we're shaping up for a Lamar Jackson, Josh Rosen kind of a Andrew Luck RG three debate. If we go back to this year to see what Hugh Jackson thinks of quarterbacks. He did take Cody Kessler over Dak Prescott. He did. And, uh, you know, many people questioned that. We all watched, or not all, but some of us watched a lot of Cody Kessler. And I would say I left that not being sure what Hugh Jackson saw in him. But Mm -hmm. Kessler's performed well above what I would have expected under Hugh Jackson's tutelage. So, you know, 
maybe he's I, I would venture to trust what he has to say on quarterbacks and uh, he seems to have been the right and again very small sample size obviously but he's done a pretty good job yeah I don't I don't know I don't know what the expectations were for Kessler coming in maybe it was judging by his preseason performance of you know, running out of the end zone on one of his first plays that as long as he <laughs> right. as long as he doesn't throw the ball to the other team too much he's doing fine but I don't know. He's, oh. he's a very boring quarterback to watch. I, I compare Cody Kessler to sort of a Ty Detmer with a better arm. He's just completely oh. unwilling to throw the ball down the field. I was watching, you know, okay. uh, you know, as we have we have Sunday ticket, and uh, we were watching the Browns play. Uh, I've already forgotten who they played. It just immediately gets erased from my head. But play this Washington. Past, yeah, thank you. Play Washington this past weekend. You know, the team is down a couple of scores with three minutes to go, and Cody Kessler's throwing four-yard passes to Gary Barnage. There was no expectation that they were going to try to win that game. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's part of probably part of the whole Hugh Jackson experience. I mean, he, I'm sure, had no designs on Kessler starting this early, but mm-hmm. here he is, and, you know, this is part of the development phase. You know, late in the game, don't battle this guy's confidence by making him do things that make him uncomfortable. Keep trying to make him better. And I, and I I think that right now the improvement of the players is much more important than the actual win column for them. And, and I think especially a quarterback, that's something you see there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the book on Kessler. He's not a guy that's going to drive the ball down the field probably ever, um, but definitely not right now being thrust into the starting role. Um so, you know, it's, it's just kind of where it's at with with why they made that decision and what kind of coach he is, I think, at this stage. And what do you make of – Which is a good thing. Yeah, no, that's that's true. What do you make of these young quarterbacks playing as well as they are? You have, uh, you know, Carson Wentz in Philadelphia and Prescott in, uh, in Dallas basically just battling back and forth every week for which of the two of them has the current NFL record for the most throws to start a career without an interception – you have Kessler playing, you know, like you said, well above expectations in Cleveland, and you have Jacoby Brissett. You know, prior to this Buffalo game, you would have said looking very good in New England. That's that's four quarterbacks who have already played big roles for their teams in the first four weeks of the season, and we're not even talking about the number one pick in the draft, Jared Goff, who, you know, is sitting sitting there as a backup, much like Carson Wentz was supposed to do all season in Philadelphia. Yeah, I. Uh, I mean, I think it's really interesting is what I make of it. And I think there's a there's a big dichotomy between the way that Prescott ended up being quarterback in Dallas versus Wentz in Philadelphia. I, I think that they, the Cowboys sort of lucked into Prescott is the way I would put it, with all due respect. I mean, I'm sure, you know, they, they picked him in the fourth round. He wasn't mm-hmm. like a, an undrafted free agent. He's a guy that they probably had targeted in the third or fourth tier. But Wentz was – Philly's guy. I mean, by all accounts, he was Peterson's guy, the handpicked guy, the guy that they traded up for, that they wanted. And so I guess it shouldn't come as an enormous surprise that he has performed well. Obviously, I think that he's performed way above anything anyone could have expected as Mm -hmm. far as just controlling the ball, let alone um, his production. Um, You know, he's, he's been amazing. The Prescott thing is, is just interesting. I think it's a real testament to Prescott himself and how he's acquitted himself right away on that team and in, in a locker room that's always, in the last, whatever, 10 years probably, been that of Tony Romo. So, um, 
you know, he's probably got a better situation as far as the talent around him. Um, but he's he's been enormously impressive on an individual basis. So I don't. What do you make of it? I mean, it was. I'm taking this as kind of a humble brag on your part because Wentz has looked about as good as any rookie quarterback we've seen since RG3, if not including him. So, uh, so what are your thoughts right off the bat? Well, first of all, yeah, I'm sorry I, to throw that. <laughs> first of all, I don't think you can uh, you can give the Cowboys too much credit for Prescott. Because, you know, you say that this was their guy, but if there was any realistic expectation on their part that he was going to be anything approaching as good as he is, you don't wait until the fourth round to take him. He was simply no, I agree he you. was simply the best guy available when they decided they were going to take a quarterback. And now, you know, maybe we were all wildly underselling Prescott because, this, you know, this is a Heisman Trophy candidate over the last couple of years. This is a guy who single-handedly willed a a pretty mediocre Mississippi State team to, you know, top 10 rankings over the past couple of seasons. And, you know, it, maybe we do make too much of, oh, he's not a prototypical thrower. He doesn't, you know, look like an NFL quarterback looks like. But talent is talent, and sometimes you just have to ignore the rest of it. As for Wentz, I, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know how to talk about it. Because I think it's one of these things that – the football gods haven't quite realized is happening just yet. And if we start bringing <laughs> attention to it, you know, they're going to realize it and they're going to come smite him and knock him off of this mountain. Boy, does he, he looks great. He, you he know, looks, yeah. he, no, I, I just, the way he sits in the pocket, the patience he shows, the composure he shows, he looks like a 10 year veteran playing the quarterback position. And Basically, he looked that way from snap one of the regular season after, you know, a quarter or so before getting hurt in the preseason. Guy's just a freak, and there, I don't, yeah. ha- I don't have any, any ideas that he's going to be this good for the rest of the season because he's a rookie and stuff is going to happen. That's just what happens to rookie quarterbacks in the NFL. It's kind of like, kind of like a, a pitcher going through the lineup once. You know, you can fool some guys with new stuff and then. Yeah. What you are is how you adjust to how they adjust to you, and so we're going to have really good we're going to have to see that from Wentz. I, I but boy, you know, you could not ask for any more than how good he looks. And I just selfishly, I, I you know, I just want this to go on as long as it can because I really thought that that I didn't. Let's say I did not think the Steelers game was going to go the way it did. Agreed, and I was actually just going to say that. This last weekend, I thought, was more of a testament to how good Wentz has been than even the first few weeks, and here's why. They play the Steelers two weeks ago in week three, right, mm-hmm. and, and he's awesome. He does uh, just, you know, he impresses you beyond because he had played the, the Browns and the Bears, and you're kind of, yeah, but, you know, they mm-hmm. played these two terrible teams. Well, in the last weekend, the Bears pretty much shut down Matt Stafford, and the Steelers – who Wentz then played well against, shut down Alex Smith, which is Doug Peterson's old team, and, you know, one of the most insanely efficient quarterbacks in the league. So, you know, just the fact that, and, and granted that game was at home, but just keeping all those things in mind, I think it brings to light just how good Wentz was and how not bad the defenses that he was doing that to are. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, they, they've done this against like, the two defenses that he's shredded basically – played very well or played decently well against good quarterbacks. So to me, what Wentz did was brought more, was made more impressive by his bye week performance or non-performance, I guess. 
Yeah, next week is going to be an interesting challenge because, you know, we haven't seen the official results yet, but it's safe to say that Lane Johnson's going to start his 10-game suspension next week, which is going to kick Alan Barber over to right tackle and sort of just cool. p- pick your player at uh, at right guard to replace Barber, you know, be it be it with Newski or Isaac Samalo or whomever. There's not really a good option. So you're taking – if you go by pro football focuses ratings, you're taking the number two right tackle in football – or the number two tackle in football right now in uh, in Lane Johnson. You know, you're taking him out of the lineup. You're taking the number two guard in football in Alan Barber and kicking him over to tackle where he's been mediocre to average in the past. So that's really going to hurt the offensive line. We're going to see how – Wentz, you know, reacts to having a little bit more pressure in his face, and you know we're gonna we're gonna see how Doug Peterson reacts to changing up the game plan. You know, maybe this is a hearkening back to the Andy Reid of old with screen pass after screen pass after screen pass to sort of quell that pass rush. And maybe you're trying to run the ball more with, you know, Kyle. Let's talk about Ryan Matthews for a second. I have never, never in my life, thought Ryan Matthews was a an above-average football player. Never. I mean, no, not since coming, not since coming into the NFL, because obviously he was a, a good prospect in college. But once we right, saw I was going to say. Yeah. Once we saw him out of college. Yeah, no question. Great, great college football player. But once we saw him at the professional level, it's like, oh, this is this is a guy. You know, you can get away with him being your starter when he's healthy, but he's a guy. He's not an impact player. I just he gets overblown by the media by uh, by analytics. I don't understand. It, this is one of these things of these rankings don't match up with what I'm seeing. Cuz I just think he's incredibly mediocre. I think, you know, I would give more carries to Kenyon Barner. I would give more carries obviously Wendell Smallwood looked great last week. I don't get Matthews. I I just I don't yeah. think a lot of help to the a lot of help to Wentz. He does catch the ball well, so maybe that's useful, but I don't know. I, I would kill for an Eddie Lacy. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Um, I think that part of what makes Matthews better is that change of pace. Sproles comes in and brings, and, you know, is uh, I, I think there's a lot to the idea of blocking better and the offensive line feeling more confident with different kinds of running backs and really keeping the defense sort of off-kilter. And so far, I think Peterson's pushed a lot of the right buttons and and doing a good job of changing the pace with those two and Barner less to a lesser extent Smallwood. Um, and I, I mean, I don't think they have any misconception about what Ryan Matthews is. And I mean, if you're saying that some of the ratings are off, that I agree with that. But I, I don't. I just looking at the snap counts, I think it's evident that that Matthews isn't going to be like their bell cow guy all of a sudden or at any point. And and that's good. That's that's a good thing for Wentz because the more that they're on the offensive and not using the same kind of strategies out of the backfield, the better and better it is for that offense and keeping, you know, making the defenses still feel like this is that first time through the order for this offense. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings for a second, because this is a team where personally I'm very conflicted about. You have, a situ- you have a situation where Teddy Bridgewater goes down and we trade we you know I because obviously I'm a member of the Philadelphia Eagles front office. That's right. My beloved, Phil- my beloved, thank you. My beloved Philadelphia Eagles trade uh, Sam Bradford to the Vikings for a first round draft pick. So obviously I'm, I'm incentivized to, to want the, the Minnesota Vikings to lose. 
And then you see Adrian Peterson go down, and I think, oh, this could get interesting quick. This could get – but yeah. regardless of all of that, they just keep winning, and they look great. And I find myself in a weird position where I'm kind of rooting for them now because what they're doing with this – these catastrophic injuries with Bridgewater, with Peterson, with Matt Khalil, like you have to be impressed by that. And I, I find myself rooting against my own best interests and hoping the Vikings keep doing well. Now, if 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 the Eagles are real and we you know we'll we'll see in I guess three or four weeks, then then maybe that that opinion will change and uh, all of a sudden I want the Vikings to lose every game once again. But man, right now I'm happy to see them doing as well as they are. And aren't you? How are they doing as well as they are? Well. Pretty simply, Mike Zimmer. I mean, everything that he touches has so far really turned to gold. His defense, which is, make no bones about it, that is his defense, yeah. has been amazing. Their drafts under Rick Spielman and with Zimmer have been unbelievable. Um, the coaching staff that, that Zimmer has assembled from North Turner down has been very good at managing on offense, North Turner managing what they have on defense. They have all kinds of talent um, with Barr and Kendricks and Smith and everybody. I mean, they're so deep and loaded, and um, and you know they're and Xavier Rhodes, of course. They're they're just Mike Zimmer's fingerprints are all over this defense, and you know if the Broncos and Panthers don't play in last year's Super Bowl, I'm probably much more dubious about this team. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the fact is that defenses do win or have won in the last year or more, um, and with with subpar quarterback play and so far Sam Bradford's been. Average to above average, and for him, out of this world compared to what he's ever been. Uh, and so I just, you know, I think that I, I just keep giving. Going back to Mike Zimmer and the the drafting the last few years of Rick Spielman, it's so impressive um, the way they're able to fill holes. Uh, it's it's just really unbelievable. And you know, as a Packer fan, I I love the Green Bay Packers. I, you know, I'm definitely unquestionably rooting against them, but it becomes harder and harder every week because of how good Mike Zimmer is. He's unbelievable. I mean, the way that they've – this is one of the best coaching jobs that I've seen. Again, again obviously small sample size, but mm-hmm. just really, really impressive because they're not doing it against nobody either. I mean, they took out the Packers at home, who then the next week looked pretty pretty darn good on offense. And, and you know, they beat – they just destroyed the Giants last night. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're an impressive group right now. Let me ask you: Do they have a problem in the form of Blair Walsh? Uh, I, I, I would be more concerned about their offense than Blair Walsh. I'll say that. I Blair Walsh is a talented kicker. It's probably, I, I would assume he'll get it straight. Um, but they have a real problem on offense. I think just looking at them, it's hard for me to believe that this team can win playoff games given the offense, well, offensive personnel that they have right now. It just it it kind of offends my sensibilities as a football fan, but it's amazing. I mean, again, just a testament to Zimmer. Yeah, I mean, he's an impressive player, but kickers are funny. You know, kickers, it's kind of like the Chuck Knobloch disease where you miss one throw and all of a sudden you can't make that throw to second anymore. And, I, you know, I've never seen it worse, and I saw it with Cody Parkey a couple of weeks ago who just absolutely lost the game by himself. For the or watching Tech Longhorns football. I mean, 
Well, yeah, but at least uh, with, yeah, with, with the Longhorns, we're not talking about professional kickers. True. That's true. Uh, no, you're right. Kickers can get weird quick, um, and and things can go awry. But I just, I like I said, they're yeah, I, things can happen. But I think that I think that they'll be okay, and and if they keep winning, he'll be less and less of a concern because I think that that builds confidence uh, across the locker room. Yeah, let me tell you what, Anshu. I've got a uh, I've got a stream going here, of, uh, and I would oh, like one. I would like to point out that. You know, I'm uh, I'm not someone to illegally stream sporting events or anything like that, and I I'm a League Pass member. Never. And if Le- if League Pass would just show preseason games like they should, I wouldn't be forced to look for some second-rate stream. But right now we've got the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers about to kick off in preseason NBA action. It's a it's an exciting time for me as a Philadelphia 76ers fan, aren't you? Even with number one pick Ben Simmons uh, just having Surgery on his right foot today, probably going to miss you know, at minimum three months, realistically probably a little bit more. But we get to see a couple of kids we drafted in 2014, the enigmatic Joel Embiid and Croatian sensation Daria Saric tonight. Yeah, that's very exciting for you. <laughs> I I think that this is finally the year where you'll start to see the, the fruits of the labor of the, the previous regime and you know, that's, that's pretty fun, especially in the preseason where they'll get a lot of burn and probably have a little bit more success than they will when the, the big boys start playing well, I mean, um, in the regular season. So. Yeah, the expectations for Joe, for Joel and Beater, you know, they're astronomical. We watch – the guy is basically legend at this point without ever having played a professional basketball game. I think they said right. a 12-minute 12 minute, minute, uh, cap for him tonight. Just want to get his, uh, his feet wet. And uh, right now, as we speak, I'm watching Joel Embiid warm up it's like it's yeah. like watching a unicorn it's like seeing a unicorn in my front <laughs> yard aren't you we we heard so much about him i've watched you know hours and hours of vines and youtube videos and pre-game warm-ups and this and that and joel dunking on a four foot nine assistant coach and uh today we get to see whether or not he can play for real and obviously some of that has to be tempered because you have this is a guy who hasn't played basketball in any real way in two years so there will be some rust, but but I, it is um, finally an exciting time for Philadelphia fans, and uh, God, we we deserve it. We uh, went through so much. And there's you know there's so much more to go through because I would expect trades of you know Jalil Okafor and Nerlens Noel within the next 12 months, probably Noel within the next three, assuming Embiid's healthy. So there's a lot more yeah. to do. We have you know we have our own first round pick, which is. You know, this is probably the worst team in the NBA if the Lakers or the Nets, you know, don't have something to say about that. Oh, the Nets have, are the worst. We have the yeah, uh, yeah, but they have veterans, and veterans can win you a couple of accidental games. We have uh, with the True. Lakers, and the Nets don't get their pick, right? So the Celtics get yeah, the Celtics pick. get the Nets pick regardless, and we get the Lakers pick as long as it's not within the top three. So this is an interesting year for that because the 2017 NBA draft, you know, it's, it draws some comparisons to that 2003 NBA draft, which brought in LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony and Dwayne Wade. You know, this year we have guys like Mark, Markel Fultz at Washington, the uh, incredibly exciting Dennis Smith Jr. at NC State, Josh Jackson at Kansas, Harry Giles at Duke, even though he just had a surgery on his knee today to clean some stuff out. I'm not too worried about that. 
and uh, and a lot a lot of other players. This is an incredibly talented, incredibly deep draft. At least at least before the season uh, starts, a lot's going to change. And let me tell you what I want to I want to say this right now so that it is recorded. There's a kid down in Arizona, a Finnish center named Lowry Markkinen. He's going to be a okay. top ten going to be a top ten pick by the time the 2017 NBA draft comes around. Wow, that that is that is a hot take. That's exciting. I'll, I'll keep my eye on the Finn, the big Finn in Arizona. I'm very very excited. Very excited about this college uh, basketball season for a lot of reasons. You know, I'm out here on the West Coast now, which has taken some getting used to. Uh, for instance, it's it's four o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm watching an NBA game, so that's a little bit strange. Ten o'clock in the morning to watch the NFL is not something I'm ever going to get used to. You know, college games or seven, right? Last weekend, seven thirty. Well, you know, the biggest obstacle for me in terms of watching sports so far has been that I forget they're on. Oh yeah. I'll yeah. get a I'll get a ESPN notification saying you know blah 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 is leading blah 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 with seven minutes left in the first quarter, and I'll be like, oh, my God, it's it's 5.30 and the Sunday night game's on. I I hope it hasn't affected your fantasy uh, situation at all. Aren't you connected? Because lineups in early. It has affected it. Oh. Oh, and my team, and my team in general is struggling. Uh, the, the the Gronk is not doing great for me. Number My first-round pick was a, a fellow by the name of Newton, and uh, he's oh. – not racking up the points. I had Matt Ryan on the bench this week, by the way. Oof. Well, I can't really blame you there. At Carolina, or playing Carolina's defense. That was a pretty amazing performance. I would have never, ever guessed that that would have happened that way. You didn't expect Matt Ryan to get 500 yards passing against the Panthers defense, including 300 to Julio Jones? <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't have been overly surprising to say Julio would score 100 and yeah. one touchdown, but... Uh, Matt Ryan has been pretty impressive. Kyle Shanahan, he seems to be embracing that Shanahan offense this year. So maybe he's, quote, unquote, turned the corner. How much of a corner does he have to turn? I've always thought Matt Ryan was one of the more underrated players in all of professional football. I completely disagree with that. Why is that? He's, I, I've, I, just, I don't think that he's ever performed that well. I think he's constantly had higher expectations. I guess it depends on what scale you're looking at, but this is a guy who made the playoffs what his first three years as a quarterback and uh, out of Boston College, and mm-hmm. you know everyone's saying this guy and Aaron Rodgers are the next wave of good, great quarterbacking, and here he is not having made the playoffs in several years now, and frankly he's had maybe the best talent, arguably the best talent at receiver in the league, or definitely one of the top three or four, um, and the fact that they haven't consistently put a point that he's battled issues with efficiency and with turnovers. Um, He's gone through several different offensive coordinators and he's had every, you know, he's been given every decent weapon that he could possibly want um, to not carry that team in that dome against a a division that's been up and down at best. Um, It's pretty, I would say it's pretty disheartening. I I don't think that he's been very good to be honest with you. I don't, I wouldn't put him in my, I think I had my quarterback rankings last week of the players Mm -hmm. I would want going forward. And I believe I had him in the 20s somewhere. And I, I stand by that, even though last week was, was pretty impressive. I think you're selling Matty Ice short, aren't you? You've got a – first of all, I am – it's near and dear to my heart because he's an Exton kid. Exton is, uh, you know, 20 minutes from where I grew up. So always had a little bit of a connection there, even though he left us for Boston College. But, you know, let's uh, look at – 
you talk about the success he had those first three seasons, and that, that's certainly true. But statistically, those first three seasons his worst seasons. Going into season four, which was the first time he ever eclipsed 4,000 yards in a season with 4177, you know, we go from there to 4719 to 4515 to 4694 to 4591, and now he's on, right now he's on pace for a, you know a little bit over 5,000 yards passing in 2016. Probably not going to happen, but you know. Is it going to be too long before we see that 5,000 mark eclipsed by somebody in this passing age of the NFL? No, I, I definitely don't think it'll be too long. Although, I, I do feel like the the volume per quarterback, I mean, the average quarterbacking passing yard totals are, are going up. But I don't think mm-hmm. the best ones are throwing for the 5,000 yard totals that we saw with Rot when you know you had. Manning and Breeze, especially in his heyday, um, even Rodgers to a lesser extent. Uh, I just I don't think you're seeing those huge, huge totals. Stafford was doing it for a while there. Um, I mean, we could if some team completely commits to throwing, um, but it does seem to me that we're seeing a little bit more of a balance. I mean, even if you if you when you look at some of these rookie quarterbacks. Uh, and the younger quarterbacks, they're, they're generally in pro-style offenses, which which are less spread-oriented, which are more run-focused, or at least have some elements of the run game still well incorporated. Mm-hmm. It looked like we were well on our way to seeing these five and 5,500-yard passing yard seasons, and, and we just haven't really seen them in the last years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'll take that a lot by the By the way, quick update for all, those, uh, all the interested listeners out there. Your starting lineup for the Philadelphia 76ers is T.J. McConnell at point guard, Gerald Henderson at the two, Robert Covington at the three, Daria Saric at the four, and Joel Embiid at the five. Celtics currently up 2 nothing. Little bit surprised. <laughs> Little bit surprised to see T.J. start over Sergio Rodriguez, but, you know, it's early. And Joel's got the ball. For, Joel's got the ball for the first time as a professional and just got the ball poked away by Amir Johnson. Now he's randomly dribbling out. <laughs> the three-point line. And now he's been stripped. So... The All great right. Amir Johnson, I think, is what you meant to say. I did. The great Amir, future Cleveland Brown, Amir Johnson. <laughs> there you go. So got that out of the way. So, you know, a rough first possession for Embiid, but he's still uh, still upright, and honestly, that's all that matters. And boy, he's huge. Guy's seven foot two now. It's absurd. He he looked annoying. He looked like a man amongst boys at Kansas too. The only the player that I I always compared him to just from a pure physicality standpoint was Odin. Greg Oden when he was at Ohio State, just as far as looking way older than he probably is, and I say probably, uh, and, you know, just completely dominating physically the, the competition at the college level, even at the highest level. Um, and it's a miracle that that team with him and, and Wiggins never won uh, won a title. Yeah. Well, they only, only played together for one year. Sixers now up 3-2 to two on a Dario Saric three-pointer. Wow. Stop the presses, folks. It's, a, it's an exciting time. Uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But Bill Self, is uh, he ruins wings, which is why I thought, you know, I mean, okay, so ruins isn't the right word. Joel Embiid with a fadeaway 12-footer bounces off the rim. You know, ruins isn't obviously isn't the right word because uh, Wiggins did end up being the number one pick in the draft. But he doesn't allow them to play to perhaps their maximum potential, at least offensively, because he's so demanding defensively, which is great. Which is why it was interesting to see Josh Jackson pick Kansas, you know, kind of uh, a player who's often compared to Andrew Wiggins with, you know, the elite, elite athleticism and all of that. 
Ugh, Joel Embiid off the rim once again, but looks good. Looks good early. Um, so picks Kansas. You know, obviously he sees is this an opportunity to go be the number one pick, just like like Wiggins was a couple of years ago. I don't know. I was a little bit surprised, but uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a fun year of college basketball, and uh, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to the the Berkeley. Washington game, which I'll be attending because I want to go see future 76 or Markel Fultz in person. Oh, wow. Sounds very, very exciting. That's going to be fun. I mean, you know, it's so. uh, So my birthday is coming up and my birthday is coming up on Friday. And uh, it is. It is. Thank you. Feel free to in lieu of gifts, please uh, donate to the Ben Simmons Rehabilitation Fund. But (laughs) but. uh, so I found out that my girlfriend was, who you know, I've lived with for two and a half years, and uh, she was she was a little antsy one day, and uh, she was talking about a present she wanted to get me, and she wasn't sure whether she should. So what she was trying to get me was uh, courtside tickets for the Golden State Warriors Philadelphia 76ers game at Oracle, and uh, wow, yeah, 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 and uh, honestly, ridiculously That's overpriced and. Ridiculously yeah. overpriced, and I'm honestly glad that it, you know, it, that didn't happen because while it would have been awesome, you know, forty four, forty five hundred bucks for for two and a half hours doesn't make a ton of sense. T.J. McConnell with the steal yeah. and the breakaway layup. Um, but you know that that got me the idea that instead of that, I want to go sit courtside for for Cal Washington and uh, you know have uh, have Markel so close that I could you know I could grab onto him and just get a Sixers jersey on him right then and there. <laughs> there you go. That's that's a good idea. That's that's getting to the moon while you shoot for the stars. It's a, it's. I'm looking forward to it because you know Simmons is going to miss. He's going to be out until at least at least the end of late December, maybe January, probably January even because you know this is a team that tends to be on the safe side with its young talent, and uh, right, so I mean, they're they're, they're going to be bad. There's no no two ways around it. They are going to be bad. Uh, you know, look at Minnesota last year. This is a team that has an unbelievable amount of young talent, and, and Carl Anthony Towns, who is a, a year or two from being one of the three best players in basketball, maybe five best players in basketball. They have the uh, the aforementioned Andrew Wiggins, and uh, a lot of the Zach Levines and the Ricky Rubios, and so on and so forth. And they struggled last year. That is a team that really struggled because young teams just do not play well you know it it takes time it takes it takes an understanding of how to play basketball so so they will sorry if there's a if there's a pregnant pause in my speaking it's because i'm watching something that's going on in the sixers game but but it takes time because you're having dario sarge's unborn child well i don't know that it's going to be sarge to be honest with you but you know we'll we'll see how that goes i'm very excited that he's here he's sarge reminds me of boris dial and I think that's the kind of player that the kind of player he's going to be. He's going to be a super sixth man. I don't think he's a starter in the NBA. I don't think he's got to be because Ben Ben's going to be the starter at the four, with uh, Joel at the five, and you know question mark at the one, two, three. But we're going to solve some of those questions in next year's draft. Hopefully, uh, we pick one and we pick four, end up with Fultz and Smith or Fultz and Jackson, and all of a sudden you you've got something to be very excited about. Uh, Anja, you wrote an article today about the American League playoffs. And I thought it was interesting because that you wrote that because I didn't know you were much of a baseball fan. 
Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, it was exciting. It was fun to write because I haven't really gotten a chance to do a whole lot of baseball writing, um, but I am heavily involved in fantasy baseball. I love kind of the advanced metrics and there's, I just, there's something about the baseball playoff that's really, really interesting to me because mm. it's such a different game than the regular, the rest of the season and the way that the last week you're kind of crafting your rotation while also trying to just make the tournament and, um, and just, it's so unrepresentative, as I say in, in the article, of the regular season. Um, but I, I just, it's such a chess match, and, and I think that it's a really interesting time of year. So, uh, yeah, so I, so I took, took a shot at it, and I think, uh, I think it went okay. It certainly did. And can I tell you that this, uh, this American League wild card kind of feels like, kind of feels like a, an opening act to the National League. Yeah. I agree with that. I think, I mean, I live in the shadows of Wrigley Field, so I'm probably a little bit biased. I'm not a Cub fan, but I, I live there, so I know, or I think I know that everything seems to be revolving around the Cubs breaking this curse, ending the streak, um, and uh, and winning winning it all. So to me, yeah, the AL seems like kind of the uh, the appetizer to the main course. Well, just uh, even more than that, tonight we have. We have the Toronto Blue Jays going up against the Baltimore Orioles, and it's Marcus Stroman against Chris Tillman. Now, cut to tomorrow night, we get Noah Syndergaard against Madison Baumgartner. True. Yeah, if that's what you mean, yes, that as well. Um, and that pitching matchup is going to be just awesome, and the game being in San Francisco, it's going to be it's going to be really, really fun. Um, but I, I wouldn't diminish how exciting that Rogers Center crowd can be, as we saw last year in the postseason, uh, when the bat flip went off, that that stadium gets pretty rowdy, and uh, I would expect if the Blue Jays start pounding home runs off of Chris Hillman, which I kind of expect to happen, um, that it'll be that kind of night. So I, I expect a lot of a lot of hits, a lot of big flies. Both these pitchers are sort of – Strowman's pretty prone to them, and uh, obviously the Blue Jays lineup is pretty insane. So I would expect, uh, expect some fireworks tonight. Yeah, there is something that's kind of beautiful and kind of uh, alluring about the game of baseball that maybe isn't present for other sports. And I don't know, maybe it's just the, the sheer number of games and the sheer complexity of what looks like such a simple thing. But there, it's, it is, it's such a draw. And I kind of, I kind of have always liked the idea of baseball and talking about baseball more than watching baseball. For, for <laughs> so true. Reason. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. I, I mean, I love listening to Joe Madden and Theo and some of these guys talk, um, and I love reading, like, the advanced analytics, and then mm-hmm. you start watching it, and you're like, yeah, all right, you know. But then the, the fact that it comes down to one game, I think that was honestly a stroke of genius right. uh, coming off of that one amazing last day a few years ago with the Rays involved and some other teams. Um, so I, I think that when you see it come down to one pitching matchup like it will tonight and tomorrow night, uh, that adds a lot of intrigue to the to the whole process. Yeah, no doubt. I'll tell you that I, I peruse a Philadelphia Phillies message board every single day, and one of the threads that I go to, perhaps the first thread I look forward to reading every morning, is during the summer is how the minor league kids did every day, just a little minor league wrap up of how everyone played. And uh, sure. first of all, first of all, it breaks my heart that uh, the minor league season is over because uh, that's I probably enjoy it more than the. Yeah, I, I like the idea of what could be more than what is in some ways, but you know, I check that thread every totally. single. I check that thread every single morning. I don't think I, I don't think I missed more than one or two. And 
you know, it's it's one of those things where I'll watch the Phillies if there's nothing else on and and it's in front of me. Yeah. I, I won't rush. To. Yeah, I mean, you, you're you're more excited about the the process than the actual product. I I kind of get that. That's kind of the NFL draft, isn't it? Like very much, yeah. Like building up the box, and you know, then the draft happens. That's really exciting, and then you know the guys are in the league, and that's it. I mean, and so it's it's I got I definitely see where you're coming from. The hot stove is really like a fun thing in theory, and then you kind of you see whoever playing, and you're sort of like, all right, well that's cool. I'm, I'm watching baseball now, and it's, it's whatever. And I mean, unless you get that bad flip moment, it's hard to get that same excitement. Yeah, no question. I will say that one of the nerdiest things that I do on a on a daily basis is uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the the website What If Sports, but uh, I have uh, I play in a hardball dynasty sim league on What If Sports, and uh, it's I just love it. I love it so much. I mean, and that's kind of what fantasy is, too, a little bit. Like, you can manage your team, uh, put together the numbers, look at your projections, and then you never, ever have to watch even one game. And, you know, fantasy baseball, at least. I think football's a little bit different, but um, because I think you get you can get a real feel for the players as you watch them, at least for us. So, mm-hmm. scout it a little bit or whatever and watch a lot of film and whatnot. But, but baseball, it's much more like sit and lead your lineup, which is, um, I think kind of along the lines of what you're talking about, games. Yeah, very much. And I just like the, you know, it's uh, it was just one of those things where I was just kind of, uh, kind of bored, and I stumbled into it. So like, oh, you know, it's 4.95 for the first year, and well, for the first first season, I'm like, oh, I'll give that a shot. Sure. You're and made it, of money. Oh yeah, stop it. But uh, <laughs> but man, it was uh, it, it's addictive. I, I I tore my team down. Last year, I sure did. I uh, it's a rebuilding wow. rebuilding process for the Tucson Thunder, but but we're excited. We have a, a lot of uh, a lot of strong players in the minors, mostly the Double A team, which is very strong. And you know, if people okay, haven't well, if people haven't stopped listening by now, they certainly did when yeah, I talked I about say. my league of my especially my Double A baseball in league team. If that won't uh, plasticize our listening public, I don't know what will. <laughs> But it, that's that's the beauty of sports, though. It's just you want to you want to feel involved, and you want to feel involved in whatever way that takes. And anything that can grab you and pull you closer to that sport is only a positive. Yeah, especially when there's money involved. And I think that that's I think that's why football's king because there's so many different avenues to have an impact your daily life, mm. whether it be bragging rights and fantasy or these daily leagues and betting on a weekly basis and having an impact your your livelihood many times for worse. <laughs> um, I, I think that I definitely think there's something to all that. And uh, it's a deep, deepish thought to uh, start our podcast. Oh, like bang. Look at that. Nailed that. Absolutely nailed that. Oh, you know, football is obviously the, the most easy sort of uh, barrier to entry too, because it's a, it's a once a week thing as opposed to, you know, baseball, it can be daunting, especially fantasy baseball, because you do have to mess with your lineups every single day. You have to change, mess with the pitching staff every single day. Yeah. It's uh it's very hardcore and our league is extremely competitive it's been over 10 years now. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of pride on the line there, but I, I, I love it because to be honest, 
you know, I don't think I would know nearly as much about the league if I wasn't a part of it, mm-hmm. um, particularly the National League. I'm a White Sox fan, so unfortunately. So, um, you know, I, I love it. I think it's a great way to educate yourself on it. And I think that you learn a ton about just like there, there are so many different strategies and, and it's such a complicated, interesting game to bring the baseball discussion full circle as you were alluding to. There's there's so much more to it than growing at a bat and, and sites like Fangraphs and, and some of those have really brought that to light. The, the amount of intricacy that's involved in every single pitch and, and the forward thinking, um, it's really, really interesting. And I think that it's advanced to use the metrics in all these other sports as well, which is uh, really made the other games higher quality, I think. I mean, you're seeing the use of sports view in basketball and um, analytics in, in football to make decisions and to alter draft processes and projections, and I think all of that is, is only making the sports better. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about analytics in sports other than baseball, because in baseball, it clearly makes a difference, and, you know, Moneyball is a, a, a wonderful film, and everyone should have uh, should have seen it already if they haven't. And and oh, Billy, what Billy Bean and the Podesta and all of those guys did in Oakland, it changed baseball forever. I don't think it's ever going to have that kind of impact on another sport. Yeah, I well, I guess it depends how you look at it. Um, I think that analytics is just a fancy word for numerical evaluation, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that there's a huge place for that in different sports. I think the idea of going for two-point conversion is one that you can attribute to analytics, and I think that before long we'll see every team going for two every single time, or most times, and, and I think that that's a good thing. I I mean, if, if it converts at a 60% rate, then in theory they should be going for two every single time. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that, you know, that that stuff, that, that comes from metrics, that comes from analytics. I believe strongly in it. I don't think of it as something that should take the place of scouting or coaching or strategy or anything like that. But I think there's certainly a role, and it's one that, you know, a while ago, you, you cited TFF a little while ago for football focus, mm-hmm. and that's all, I mean, that's all metrics, that's all analytics. So um, the idea of using numbers to help, make better decisions is I think it's one that we have to, we have to have. I mean, it's, it's making things better. I think the, the Warriors attribute analytics heavily to why they've performed so well over the past few years to the idea that they take a three pointer instead of a two pointer so often. So I, I, I'm, I'm on board with it for sure. I'm not saying that there's no place for it whatsoever. I'm just saying that it's impact in sports like base, like basketball and football, I just don't think it's as significant as it is in baseball. And yes, uh, we have True. we have ruined the game of basketball by the realization that we should just be shooting threes. We have ruined <laughs> the game of basketball. And you know, here's the thing: is not everybody's the Warriors. Surprise, surprise. Not everybody has two former MVPs in their prime on their team. I don't need to watch the That's Milwaukee right. Bucks shoot the ball from outside 20 times a game. I do, well, but you know it's kind of like it's kind of like football that you know like I think that the legal answer they'll answer the three point thing and then it'll go back to you know I think it's a constant push and pull like you know like we were talking about with football with the spread offenses everyone's putting up these huge yards and then suddenly 
defenses are better. You know, defenses are, once you've created a defense that can sort of slow down that attack, those teams end up being better. So that's like the market inefficiency. And that's a constant push and pull. I think that we'll see that. And, and I think that metrics can only help expose some of those inefficiencies or inequities, you know, and, and kind of bring out, some, extract some of those, uh, like the weaknesses to be exposed. Aren't we just talking about the cyclical nature of sports, though? Because you know that that's basically what this is. You have an, a league sure. where everybody wants to throw the ball, so defenses are built to throw the ball. All of a sudden, a team comes along that just wants to run the ball, and suddenly that concept is revolutionary in an era of, of you know air attack offense. And then other teams start doing it because every sport is a copycat sport. And then teams become mm-hmm. built to stop the run, and then the pass comes back. Right. You're, I, I agree with that. I think that that's absolutely the case. It is a cyclical thing, but you're talking, I'm talking about the, you're simplifying it, oversimplifying it because what creates that cycle effect? How do you answer that bell when someone is, when all these teams are passing and you want to go to a run heavy team? Well, you, you need to have strategies that are beyond whatever, just the idea of running. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you've got to create different run schemes, use different kinds of tempo, use different kinds of personnel sets, draft different kinds of players with different kinds of speed or size or weight or whatever. And I think that in all those cases, the strategy and the metrics go hand in hand in in finding and exposing those little things that make the cycle go. I see what you're saying, but where you say I'm oversimplifying, I think you're overcomplicating because (laughs) I I think if we, if I'm an NFL coach and I see that every team in the NFL is built to stop the pass, I'm going to start to think, especially, by the way, if I don't have the strongest quarterback, if I don't have the, the strongest set of receivers, hey, why don't we try something different? And in that, we're going to start building a run game. I don't need to see the numbers. I don't need to see advanced stats. I don't see, need to see all of that. Because here's the one thing about statistics is that if you, look, if you look hard enough and you find the right sample size, you can prove whatever you want to prove. And that's, that's not that's, untrue. That's never been more true than basketball. The heavy basketball analytics. Look, we have we have a guy writing for us by the name of well, I won't tell you what his real name is, but he goes by the name Kaiser Linderman on the site, and he's spectacular. The guy will be working for an NBA team at some point. And the thing of it is, for all of the, you know. 7,000 word articles that he writes uh, about why this is important and why that is important. Some of the Joel Embiid with his first professional basket, um, some of the conclusions that they come to, you know, going by whatever algorithm he's using at the time are ridiculous. Like there was a, there was a player named Thomas Walkup at Stephen F. Austin this year. And analytics guys go crazy for Thomas Walkup. Just crazy. Grades out incredibly highly. This guy's never going to be a professional basketball player. He's going to make a lot of money playing overseas. But we had two different analytics guys who had Thomas Walkup grade out as one of the top three players in the draft because of the system they were using. Yeah, I love that guy, by the way. Yeah, he's fun to watch, but he's not – do you think he's going to be an NBA basketball player? Why not? I mean, I'll just say this about analytics with that. Uh, I think that it's tricky. You have to balance it, right? You have to balance the scouting with the, the numbers. I mean, 
you have to look at who they're playing and how they shoot in different spots. And, you know, you have to level set it based on the competition that they're against. And Stephen F. Austin obviously didn't have the top most level of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you have to balance it with just the size and the fact that, you know, you're going to be playing against bigger, faster, better players. So there's always limitations. But, for example, like the NFL draft, there's a site called mockdraftable.com, and you can see the percentile that a certain player is in uh, based in comparison to other players at his position. So I can see that, um, you know, Sorrell Suggs was in the eighth percentile amongst edge defenders, right? Or I can see that um, player X was in the 99th percentile. Jeff Janis is like an absurdly good athlete Mm -hmm. and receiver. You know, and I think that those are valuable because they make you look twice uh, at some of the some of the film that you might otherwise see and say, oh, you know, this this guy was really fast at his sport. He was unbelievable. Let me see if that checks out on the game film. So I think that's where metrics, they, they obviously play a role. That I, I definitely am dubious of the college basketball analytics because used solely by themselves, they're, they're dangerous. They're flat out dangerous and irresponsible to I mean, if you're a GM and you're taking walk up in the top three, you're just you're just not doing a good job. So, yeah, I mean, I I think there's a place, but if you're, I think they're largely they're a great deciding factor between two or three similarly skilled or similarly evaluated players. You know what I mean? They can be like a tiebreaker in many cases. By the way, uh, ESPN reporting that Lane Johnson's expected to play Week Five against the Lions. Oh, there you go. You got the full all the all the boys the band back together. Yeah, that's wonderful. But you know, if this team has playoff ambitions, I'd like to see him get that ten game suspension out of the way at some point. <laughs> uh, Boy, you're already thinking about that, huh? I'm just saying, you know, because the Lions are not a good team. More likely than not, they're gonna the Eagles go to four and zero this weekend, and that puts you wow. in a puts you in a really good position to make the playoffs. So, I don't know. Untrue. all right. So anyway. So if we go by Kaiser's rankings from this up this previous NBA draft, Dario Sarch with his second three of the game, Sixers trail 27-20. Uh, number one is Ben Simmons. Number two is Brandon Ingram. That makes a lot of sense. That is how it actually went. Number three is uh, where things fall off the cliff a little bit. You have Wade Baldwin, number three. And now that's a guy I like, Vanderbilt point guard, and I understand why analytics guys like him. Number four is Chris Dunn. So we'll say, oh, all right, so far, so good. Things really start to fall apart at number five, and that is Gary Payton, the second. Number six is Deontay Davis, seven, Bryce Johnson. Number eight is DeAndre Bembry, nine, Patrick McCall, ten, Derek Jones Jr. from UNLV. Derek Jones Jr., a raw combo forward is the, the nicest way you can describe his game. From UNLV, one slot ahead of Michigan State's do-it-all college basketball MVP Denzel Valentine. So that uh, that's uh, a sort of a strike against the analytics argument for me right there. And then we finish up with, uh, oh, God, Chinawu Owenaku. I've never quite known how to know that, say oh. that name from Louisville. Who was it? Oh, Louisville. Whoops. Nope, sorry, you're good. Um, you have Henry Ellenson from Marquette, Khalil Felder from, uh, from Oakland, Jalen Brown, number 15, then guys like Marcus Christ, Deontay Murray. The, uh, the aforementioned Thomas Walkup at number 18, Beasley at 19, and Demetrius Jackson at 20. See, one guy we have not mentioned for the keen-eared observers is, uh, is Buddy Heald. 
Buddy Heald was mm-hmm. not not an analytics guy by any stretch of the imagination. Not, not an efficient not an efficient score at all. That's that's the main reason that you see that. I'm guessing. I would have to see what Kaiser used for his analytics basis, but um, you know, Buddy Hield got up a ton of shots, and so analytics people do not like not scoring a lot of points per possession or per shot, and mm-hmm. so um, that's generally the reason why you'll see high volume players. Uh, not get listed near the top of, of those efficiency rankings. That's fine, but that's where – and I, I don't get me wrong. I understand it, but that's where my argument starts to come in, and that's the problem I have with it because even if we assume that Buddy Heald is going to be closer to his floor, which I've always thought was a guy like Jody Meeks, you know, Jody Meeks is probably a, probably a, a very good pick at number 20 in any given NBA draft. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think that there's something to that. I, I'm not sure if this got captured or not, but I I think that it's really useful metrics as a as a lens through which to look one faster amongst many, um, a tiebreaker if you know if something's very close or you know a metric is is something that you can use to look toward to to highlight a player like say you had Case Alder listed really high. Well, maybe our scouts say that he's 60 or we didn't get a chance to go look at him. Mm-hmm. That's a reason to go look at him, you know, that, and I think that that stuff is important It's a check on a check. And, um, you know, it shouldn't be the be all and end all either. I, I would never use analytics strictly as my rationale for, for drafting a player, but it certainly would be, um, a plus much like how, you know, a great 40 time illustrates great athleticism. Um, even if you're not supposed to run 40 yards or in a mm-hmm. row, if you're a, whatever, a defensive lineman or whatever, but it, it's an indicator that, hey, maybe this guy's got athleticism we didn't realize. Maybe we go double check. You know what I mean? Like, this is the kind of thing um, that I would be looking at. And, and yeah, I mean, Buddy Hill, I think basketball is interesting, too, because I think efficiency sometimes flies in the face of the strength of some players. And, and mm-hmm. I think there is some strength and something to be said about a guy that you can count on for many, many shots or someone who can score late in games or on one possession and, um, and I think I think that Buddy Hill is that kind of player, the kind of guy that you can count on for a high volume scoring. And, and I think that that's, that's a valuable trade in the pro game. Well, and more so, the the ability to space the floor for other people is an invaluable sure. ability, especially in the modern day NBA. So yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I never intended for this to be an anti analytics argument on my end, because I certainly see the merits of them. But I just think it's more valuable in baseball than it is in football and basketball. And I, I see your your argument that, you know, maybe maybe analytics are make you look at somebody you wouldn't look at otherwise, or make you consider something that you wouldn't have considered otherwise, and that's fine. And uh, another show, I'll go on a tirade about how I think the that people use the forty yard dash as an indicator of a person's actual a football player's actual speed and agility. Uh, is uh, makes any sense at all uh, because I, I don't I don't see that I think the three cones a much more apt measurement for f- actual football speed but you know absolutely I but, think and that's that's kind of like that's an analytic I mean that's a metric you know the the idea of using three cone drill to assess speed um, or agility as you say as opposed to um, you know, just looking at a player or watching him play or, or just looking nearly at the 40, it's an additional layer of complexity and um, useful complexity, I think. So sure. I'm firmly off your lawn, to be clear. I'm completely <laughs> off your lawn. I will not 
bring my TI-83 Plus into your lawn or anywhere near your lawn. Hey, uh, you know, I don't have any problem with any of that, and I, I I like anything that creates conversation. So I just I just don't understand. I don't know how much I would how much stock I would put into it if I were mm-hmm. in that position. And by the way, T.J. McConnell, Dario Saric, Robert Covington, Nerlens Noel, and uh, Nick Stauskas bringing the Sixers back against the Boston Celtics. Current score is twenty-seven twenty-four. <laughs> Preseason basketball, y'all. It's white hot. And this is on white in that scenario. Uh, you know, there's there's a Canadian and a European in there, so yeah, that's not what are you gonna do? The Celtics are very black right now. Very black. <laughs> I don't know. The Celtics don't have a a, a Caucasian on the court. So they're uh, bringing that, that ratio back up to where it probably should be in a professional game. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, actually, the one last thing that I want to talk about is something that drives me absolutely positively crazy, and uh, it's North Dakota State, speaking of Carson Wentz. North Dakota State beat up on Iowa earlier this season. They've won five straight national championships at their level. Why is this not a Division One football team? I have no idea. They've proven it repeatedly. Now they've got pro players going at the top of the draft, and clearly that are more. And this is more of a feather in their cap. I mean, Wentz was pro ready out of college, right out of college. It wasn't that he he sat around for a few years and then became good, like say Tony Romo of Eastern Illinois. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy came right out, was ready to go, pro made, and he's clearly proven the game is not too big for him, regardless of how the rest of his career goes you can confidently say the game isn't too big for him. So, I mean, I don't – that's your quarterback. That's like the, the best indicator of where your program is. And, uh, you know, I just don't see how um, how they're not higher up or on a different level than where they currently are. Look, I, just, they be. I, mean, I just think it's cowardly. I do. I think this rings of cowardice. I think they're so content being the big fish in a small pond that they don't even want to consider it because they'll have to take their lumps for a couple of years, just like a school like Temple did, for instance. Yeah. Oh, that hits close to home for you. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to read more about the rationale behind why they are there or if that's a decision they are even able to make. I mean, you know, geographically speaking and some of the expenses around – um, being a part of a different conference, I'm guessing, probably impacted mm-hmm. the idea of building a stadium fit for a, for an FBS team, the, the facilities that go along with it, the additional recruiting that's involved, um, some of the admissions processes that are probably a little bit different. I'm guessing those all play roles. Um, but I would say there's probably an element of laziness to it or content or um, contentment, I should say, just the willingness to continue to be the best, like you say, at, at a certain level. But I'm guessing there are a lot of factors involved that um, that we're probably not privy to. Well, see, it does it does hit close to home for me, but not for the reasons that you would think. You know, I went to a school that had 10,000 students at it, and we just won the collegiate national championship in NCAA basketball. And I, while I recognize it's much easier to field a 12-person basketball team than it is, you know, in college a 90-man football roster. You know, North Dakota State has 15,000 students, 14,000 students as per their their Wikipedia page. You know, we had 10. 
Like this is a school that's twice as big as we were. Why? Why is this not? It's ridiculous. If you're if you well, should, and if you show that and you beat I exactly that's the point I was about to make is that if you've already yeah. shown this aptitude, you you would have to think there's a, a significant financial gain by going up from the FCS to the FBS level. And when did I? I don't like not calling it one double A. Why do we do that? One double A <laughs> is easier. It is easier. It's just it's weird to say FCS or FBS. They all sound good. They all sound too good. There should be a clear line of demarcation between the better and the less big, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Do they get paid if they move up from FCS to FBS? Does the conference that they'd be joining compensate them? enough to justify that move? I mean, do you know? I don't know. know. That's a good question and some a question that we can can look into asking those who do know, but I would think that there has to be financial gain, you know, even if it's just in terms of television revenue. True. The television revenue would help. Um, But, you know, in Fargo, I'm sure everybody is watching those games regardless. Now, and you're right, I'm sure as being part of the ESPN or CBS or whatever package they'd be a part of down the line with whatever conference they joined, there would, there would be additional revenues. And But would that be enough to justify the costs of the facility improvement, the idea of recruiting, again, additional recruiting and all of that that goes into being a true FBS, you know, a, a true FBS power, I guess, or, or at least a member school? I'm not sure. I see, I see what you're saying, but in, especially in terms of the stadium, I feel like as long as you have the fan base, building the bigger stadiums a no-brainer, because that's just yeah. that, that that's a, a an ATM for you, and that's another thing is sure. I've never understood why you know I I mean I guess I understand sight lines and all of that that hooey, but I've never understood why we don't see bigger professional stadiums. Why don't we have that hundred thousand seat professional stadium? Because you know the Cowboys, somebody like that. What any of your popular NFL teams, the Packers, would the Packers have any problem selling out 100,000 seats every weekend? No, the Packers wouldn't. And they haven't made additions to their stadium to make to do as much as they can. Um, again, the town owns the team, so the town gets taxed on those types of things, and that's why the state and, and the they have to agree to those types of additions and the cost that go along with it. Um, but I think part of that issue is that people don't really want to go to football games as much as they used to because they can access their fantasy team and watch their high, their high quality HD and get every vantage point of every game and not have to sit out in the cold um, and spend however much money to fill up that stadium. I think that there is something to be said about that. And you're talking about the Packers and the Cowboys. I mean, what about the Jaguars and the Bengals, who almost got blacked out last year in the playoffs. Uh, well, the Jaguars, you know, the Jaguars shouldn't have a team anyway. I'm sorry, they shouldn't. Nobody in Jacksonville cares about the Jaguars. Yeah, I mean that's so that's a uh, that's a consideration. I mean that answers your question, doesn't it? I mean, well, that's just, that just says there shouldn't some, be a team in Jacksonville. But, but I'm saying, okay, so you're saying there are two other towns. All right, so that that's one. Um, I'm guessing LA is going to have issues filling out a big stadium there too. Probably, but how much of that is oversaturation too? You know, we have the Raiders, the 49ers, the Chargers, the Rams. You don't need four teams in California, and four teams that aren't that I, far away from each other. I so you're all I'm saying is that you're basically there. Is there a condition for every single or for ten teams? If I list ten teams, it's a third of the teams in the league that can't fill out a hundred thousand seat stadium. 
And again, I think that fans are going away more and more from going to these games. I mean, I just, I, I think that I, I think that people don't want to sit out in the cold and, and watch the game when they can see all their games, all the fantasy, all that stuff from their own home. That's probably true. And, you know, while I'm not, I'm not by any means saying that this should be the general rule, I don't see why it's there aren't outliers. The Cowboys just built their new stadium. The Vikings just built their new stadium. You know, these are these are billion-dollar megaplexes. Why would, you know, the, I don't think the Cowboys are going to have a hard time selling 85,000 seats every every Sunday. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I, know, I don't won't. understand. I just don't understand why it's never happened. And by the way, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Joel's Joel, Joel's limping. Oh no! Oh boy. He, I think he's okay. Oh God, that's that's going to be scary every single time it happens. Let's we get, got him on a cart. Yeah, let's just welcome let, to the Derrick Rose era. Yeah, let's just get him out of the Good. game right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that wasn't saying it should be every, every team, but I think there are outliers where you could certainly make a case for that. And this is coming from someone who, by the way, just, <laughs> just bought three tickets for the November 27th Cleveland Browns versus uh New York Giants game at First Energy Stadium in Cleveland, sitting oh. row one behind the Cleveland Browns bench. And, uh, wow. I, I will just tell you that uh, not cheap. And StubHub is a giant. StubHub's a giant ripoff on top of that. More than a hundred. I think it was like a hundred and seventeen dollars in fees. Well, we know who will never sponsor this podcast. Now we can cross that off the list. That'll be the first of many, many, many companies, I'm sure. Yeah, but we threw some free plugs to some other people, and honestly, it's you're gonna win some, you're gonna lose some. <laughs> And that feels well like said. feels like the best way to to wrap this first show up. That's been the initial Deepish Thoughts podcast. I'm Chris Horwoodell. He's Anshu Khanna. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here sometime.